are listening to Experts in Their Field, a podcast from the Agricultural Science Association, generously sponsored by Dairy Gold Agribusiness. Hello, my name is George Ramsbottom and I'm the president of the Agricultural Science Association. In this episode of Experts in Their Field, Philip O'Connor, a council member, interviews William Minchin of MSD. William comes from County Carlow and takes us on a very personal journey through his life story and career and some of the factors that shaped the decisions and motivations behind where he is today. He's a graduate of UCD, he's a PhD from Moorpark and he currently works in a senior role with MSD. It's a very interesting story and I'm sure you'll enjoy it. We wish Willem and his family every success for the future. Um, good morning, everyone. I'm, I'm actually, my name is Philip O'Connor. I'm on the Council of ASA and I'm joined by Willie Minchin, uh, currently with MSD, and just to talk about his life and his career to date and where he is. So, Willie, thanks very much for coming here this morning and having a chat with us. And I suppose, look, like anything, we'll start at the very start. Where are you from and your, where did you start off in farming life? So what's, what's, where was the, where did Willie start? Thanks for having me, Philip. Um, yeah, so uh, my name is William Minchin. I'm uh, originally from Seskin Cross, uh, Lachlan Bridge, Carlow, which is in the southeast of Ireland. And I'm actually turning 40 next week, uh, Philip, which is fairly hard to believe, being honest. Uh, but I'm told that 40 is the new 30. So that's when I'm uh, uh, the attitude I'm taking to tra- that transition. Um, and I'm married to my wife, Grania, and we've got uh, two kids, Rachel and Isabel. Um, and we've also got a, a third uh, on the way uh, in three weeks time. Oh, congratulations. Thanks very much. Yeah, so um, just as was in terms of ag experience and, and the, at home, I grew up in a small part-time beef farm. Um, my dad actually worked in the Department of Agriculture. Uh, he was the third born of three and uh, the home beef farm of my grandparents then was inherited by my uncle John. So my dad wanted to stay in agriculture and he uh, obviously worked with the department, but then bought some land as well. Uh, with my mother, Kathleen, and uh, dad was big into pedigree charlies and, you know, did everything that goes with pedigrees in terms of embryo transfers and did his own artificial insemination. And he also was uh, renowned in the area, I guess, for uh, for selling uh, high quality stock bulls. At a personal level, I suppose I worked on local dairy and beef farms from a, from a young age, uh, you know, growing up, trying to make a bit of pocket money. And uh, then when I was eligible, so came to the age of 17, I worked in uh, Kellymont Quarry in Paulstown. I worked in the Dolman Hotel and Burnside Hydrocell on the assembly line, um, making hydraulic rams. Uh, and ultimately, all of this was to pay my way through school and, and college. Um, and then, I suppose, my parents believed in hard, working hard and instilled this, this into us in growing up over the years. Um, and going back to the question, I suppose, in terms of early ag experience, uh, I remember early mornings and late nights before school and before and after matches, um, we would have uh, been working on the farm Probably my earliest memory uh, of agriculture was uh, going out with buckets of meal and water to a polythene puddle where my dad had a uh, sheep lambing over the Christmas. The pipes had frozen over, so it was all hands on deck. And uh, we also, growing up, would have had, you know, a few potato drills and we would have reared turkeys and geese at Christmas. Um, so, yeah. You were mixed farmers then. You embraced the full mixture of farming then. We did, we did. And I suppose I would have done a lot of travel with my dad as well, you know, going around doing inspections. Um, from the four corners of Ireland, he he had lots of different roles over the years, and we would have been on numerous different farms and would have seen different production systems and so on. And looking back, I suppose it was I got great exposure uh, growing up to agriculture. 
And was I was I was I the only way you were ever going, or did you actually think about other sectors? I know you did UCD and we could touch on that bit, but I mean, was I was it always I, or did you actually think, God, oh, maybe I'll do something else, or was that? I think that I, was always your the natural way you're going to go. No, I, I I'm I'm sure I thought of different uh, careers growing up, but uh, and different options, but obviously based on what I've said, you know, it was pretty obvious that uh, agricultural science in UCD was uh, the obvious choice as agriculture was deeply ingrained in our DNA. Um, I obviously looked up to my dad and fancied a similar career. And looking back now, I don't think I changed a thing. Um, I remember the first day I arrived into the the, the lecture uh, theatre called The Bin in UCD, and I looked up and I saw five or six guys from, from home, you know, they're from the Leash Carroll border, the Kilkenny Carroll border, um, and ultimately we took to, to UCD life uh, like ducks to water. So after UCD you went, so when, what year did you go to UCD then? So when did you, you do the Leaving Cert and, and land in UCD? Yeah, uh, 2001 to 2005, I was in UCD. Um, I also did a PhD then from 2005 to 2008 and did a postdoc then in, in Grange 2008 to 2010. All right, so you really did embrace the, uh, the educational sector. Like, yeah. Did you go to UCD on day one thinking you were going to go that full route or were you just there, I'm going to do ag science and I'll see where it takes me. Like, was there, no. did you have a plan going into UCD or is it a kind of just evolve? No, it evolved. No, there'd be no point in saying that I definitely knew I was going to go on and do further education. Uh, the reality was in 2005, there was very few agricultural roles um, going uh, at the time. And uh, there was, it was a time where there was a, an increase in PhDs and masters available to students. Uh, so that's kind of how I ended up there. Was there an area that piqued your interest or did you just kind of, do you know what I mean? Did you, did you go down the Welsh scholarship route or where, like, how did you transition out of that? Like, I, from my own personal experience, I couldn't wait to get out of college and get into the working environment, if you know what I mean. And you went to slightly different route. So yeah. what took you down that route or what, 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 what piqued your interest like in it? Well, it was, it was a Welsh fellow um, and there was two positions. I remember I went down and did interview in, in Moor Park. Um, there was a conjugated linoleic acid and we got three fatty acids. And then there was the, the nutrition study around uh, finishing strategies for cold dairy cows. Um, so going down, I didn't know which role. I think there was two, the opportunity for two. Um, I remember I did the interview with uh, Michael O'Donovan, Frank Buckley, I think Lawrence Lou was there and David Kenny. Um, and uh, well, all, all heavy hitters. Heavy hitters, yeah. yeah. It was an interview, uh, an interesting interview process. Uh, actually, just a good story behind it, if you have time. Yep. So I, uh, I actually went down for the interview and was put through my paces by the, the lads. And, um, I think I did quite well. But um, Frank Buckley, at the end of the interview, turned around and said, you know, would you, would you, would you sing us a song? Which uh, kind of knocked me back a bit. But um, I knew I had the position when, or one of them when he, when he asked that question. As I thought, it was a little strange, but my sister had actually done up and helped me with my CV, as used to happen uh, at that stage in your, your life. Um, and she wrote down in the interest section, you know, loves music and will sing a song on request. Of course, Frank, <laughs> being Frank, didn't miss the opportunity. And uh, yeah, I didn't sing a song. I told him, I, I don't know how he answered. I think I said I'd need a few drinks of me. But uh I suppose there's two things in that for me for later in my career. You know, the first one being is know your CV inside out and know what's on it, um, which was always stuck with me. And the second one was, you know, the importance of showing personality in an interview and trying to stand out from the crowd. And it was something I used, you know, right through all the interviews I did uh, during my career. Oh, I know. I agree with you 100% that you have to, you have to be something different, Jotwin, you know I mean? to be memorable in an interview because yeah, interviews can be 
just roll from interview to interview. Do you know what I mean? It always good to stand out. But um, yeah. So you 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 like I mean, as you were going through your career in UCD, like I mean, and you were with the the studies and so forth. Like you you've always had quite an interesting sporting career. With the you managed to juggle the two. Yeah. Like, so like I mean, to go back a little bit, like what what brought you into sport? Like I mean, you are you are well known, obviously in the agri sector, but you're also fairly well known in the in the GA circle as well in the sporting circle. So where did that how did that career come work with 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 the studies yeah being honest it wasn't a, a it wasn't easy it wasn't straightforward um sport has been very important to me growing up you know i would have played uh, basketball with in the kilkenny league with all Auckland. i would have played gaelic football with both my club um so michael lavitt's underage in all Auckland, uh and then also at a county level all the way up from under 12 also played underage uh hurling at with my club nave reed and also county the whole way up to uh, uh, minor and then athletics for my school and, and also St. Lawrence Tools. So my school was Presentation College Carroll um, and then a bit of soccer as well, dabbled in a small bit of soccer um, and then everything else that didn't involve studying, being honest. Um, and, you know, going back to fifth and sixth year in terms of my studies, my parents decided that they needed to cut back my sporting commitments um, and rightly so. Um, and How did I, that go down the time? Not great. I, I was disappointed, but I remember clearly there was a school teacher called uh, Billy Delaney. He was my uh, athletics, run, so my running coach. He was also my geography and maths uh, teacher as well. And he convinced my dad to let me continue running uh, during my fifth and sixth year on the grounds that it improved academic focus, relieved stress, gave students you know the break they needed to maximize their ability to retain and regurgitate information. And it's something that has stuck with me, you know, to this day, I'd still try to run 50 kilometers a week. Um, and I come back with a very clear train of thought. And if I've got a complex issue today in, in my in my role in MSD, you know, and I'm, I'm staring at a screen or, or struggling with a problem, I put on the runners and I go for a run. And when I come back, you know, I'm very clear in uh, what I need to do. Uh, it certainly has helped me throughout my career in solving problems. You, you, you played as a county football, like you got to... A fairly high level in in your in your sport. Yeah, I did. Uh, I suppose being from Carlow, it's it's not easy. Uh, I played, you know, throughout a twelve year period uh, at senior level with Carlow, um, and uh, I suppose we didn't win a lot. Uh, I think it was a tough period for for Carlow football, but certainly uh, being a county player gave me a skill set in terms of disciplines, but also opened a lot of doors so you know being a relatively high achiever on the pitch meant it opened doors uh, it never got me the job but it certainly helped uh, in terms of the cv also with customers you know it, it's important um to be able to find common ground uh, and it, it takes you away from the work conversation for for moments uh, which can be important um and then it certainly helped me in terms of uh, my move move into a managerial role within msd back in 2017 I think it helps in terms of motivating a team. It helps in terms of managing individuals and realizing that everybody's different uh, and different things motivate uh, people and individuals. So uh, sport is a bit like that. And then I think the most important part is identifying critical moments. So in a match, you're going to have critical moments, which is going to win or lose, you know, tight games. Um, and you need to double down your efforts at certain moments in a, in a game. And I think my work life is, and business is, is very, very similar. There's certain moments that you identify that, yeah, I, I need to double down here. I need to double my efforts. I need to put in more 
because it's going to it's going to reap the reward in the, in the future. And it, I suppose a good example of that is the recent acquisition by MSD of of the Allflex technology business. Um, MSD were sele- Ireland were selected as one of four countries to integrate the business, and uh, it's been a huge success over the last two years. Uh, and that's something that you know I definitely double down on. Okay, to go, to go back a little bit, then back then go back into your PhD then. So when you were you were going through your PhD then, like so. The natural flow then you you when you finished your PhD, did you know what you want to do then or did it kind of evolve again? Like and you spent time in Tagus, obviously you went to Moor Park and Grange. Yeah, I, I went to um I went to Grange for Moor Park. Obviously, Cork was a long way from home. At that time it was three and a half hours or three three hours twenty minutes. Um so and also being honest, my main interest was was beef and beef production systems so an opportunity came up to do a postdoctorate in in, in Grange with Mark McGee and Eddie O'Reardon and uh, I, I took that opportunity and you know I, I've still great friends in, in Grange uh, a fantastic um, uh, organization and a place to uh, up, upskill and uh, I've great memories of my time during that postdoctorate I took up the the uh, Derry Patrick Hurd uh, which was, you know, a very interesting project. We had problems, we had issues, um, but I think c- overcoming those issues certainly made me stronger. What doesn't kill you will make you stronger. So, uh, and what was the aim of the herd? What were you, you trying to do? Research is, is, is it, uh, it works, and sometimes it does. Joe, I mean, you were obviously was there a particular area you were looking at or you were trying to do? Yeah, it was it was grassland production systems, but it was uh, identifying the impact of. Um, uh, different breeds and, and crosses of breeds. So with Charlie by limousine, uh, limousine cross, cemental, cemental by Charlie and uh, limousine by Friesian. Or, and and those, those they were divided into four different breeds and we were looking at performance um, of those uh, breeds and ultimately, uh, you know, the, the cross from, from the dairy herd came out on top uh, in terms of performance because of milk, which is really important to the production system. But we, we had fertility issues in, in the herd, uh, mainly through stock bulls. Um, and that was quite quite a high profile issue at the time. But, uh, you know, also it, it was a pity that there wasn't further research done in that area where a stock bull did fail. Um, so 92% of the herd went in calf. If they were divided in two and the other. It was 52% went in calf to AI, but the stock bull actually was infertile. Um, and it can happen. Yeah, it does. I lament actually that we didn't do further research to decide, you know, what should be done there, whether, um, you know, the cows should be allowed to rear the calves and culled at the end of the year, or whether you uh, go back in with AI or with a new stock bull and, and put the cows in calf and calve them later. You know, there's a couple of different options, which we didn't get to do at the time. Um, it, it, the, the research was uh, pulled and the focus was changed. But then I suppose I came to a natural end at that stage. Then there was a moratorium on positions um, I done just short of two years. What, what, what year would this been taking us up to? This was kind of we we talking about the time when the the crash came. If you know what I mean, there was a lot of monetary, a lot of civil servant areas. We're talking about the two seven seven eight kind of period, was it? Yeah, it was two thousand eight two thousand and ten. I was in Grange, and I oh yeah, sure you would, left, yeah yeah I left in December two thousand and ten, uh, and at that stage I'd done two interviews. Um, so I'd actually done an interview in for a beef lecturer role in UCD, which I believe I finished second on the panel for that. And being honest at the time, I felt it was the role I wanted. But I also had uh, done an interview uh, with Pfizer uh, Animal Health for a marketing role. And I finished first in that. And, you know, really, I haven't looked back. 
brought me into the commercial world and uh, in Did, was that a conscious thing you come in like I mean you you just said there that you the teaching was where you wanted to go like I mean I mean you're well from my point of view I know you're through MSD and through the commercial aspect of what you do like was was the commercial world an area you always wanted to go into like or if it just happened you, know, you did the FISA interview and you got it I, I think it's a case that what's for you won't pass you by and that's very simplistic but uh, I, I went for it to two roles I was successful in one um, I think in hindsight it was the right role for me uh, going into the commercial world I did want the UCD role I, I, I saw it as a pre- prestigious role I knew UCD very well um, but you know looking back I was very lucky that I got the, the, the Pfizer animal health role and that I was successful in that application so the, 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 the move to Pfizer came about where I gave a tour to a group of vets um, from Northern Ireland um, around Derry Patrick Heard and the lead for that was a, a vet who was working with Pfizer at the time William Sherrod who's now the MD of Vesco and uh, he made me aware of the role going in Pfizer and I applied and I, I never looked back like moving in from Tagus, like so Tagus, like I mean, you were very much in the research role. Like, I mean, it's a semi-state, so like I mean, there is there's a level of there's time and things can kind of get the natural projection. Going into Pfizer, that's that's a big old beast of a company. Like that's a multi-multi-billion dollar organization. How did you find the shift from one organization to other, like two totally different cultures and how they view things and, and rightly so, obviously, Tagus being commercial and a semi-state versus Pfizer, that which which to be honest, at the, at the end of the day, it's the bottom line and the shareholder value is what they're looking at. It was certainly different, but if you look at it, I went into a marketing role. So in some ways, I was slightly. It, it's the perfect transition going from Chagas into into a, a commercial organization or a, a pharmaceutical company because you're commercial and yes, you're trying to look for unique selling points in in your product portfolio, but uh, you know from a you're not straight into a sales role. Um, so it was the perfect transition being on it. So you, your your progression through Zoatis then, like, and obviously you're known for now to be a, a ruminant director with, uh, with MSD, but where, where, where does your role in Zoatis grow then and take it to where you are now today or into the into, into MSD? Yeah, so uh, Pfizer and Pfizer Animal Health at the time now Zoatis, so Pfizer decided to spin out uh, their animal health uh, division um, and is now known as Zoatis. And, you know, that company were very good to me. Uh, I learned a lot and I'm still very good friends with many of my former colleagues. Um, but the change came about to MSD where I was actually at a, a conference and Fergal Morris approached me about the role. Um, and also Seamus McGuire then through the interview process, I got to know very well. He was the general manager of MSD at the time. The guys turned my head being honest. Uh, it was a very similar role, which I, I, I moved across to. And uh, at that stage, where were you? What was your role in Zwaris? You were a few years in Zwaris, I presume, that yeah. stage were you? Yeah, so I was there from 2010 to 2014, I think it was September uh, 14. And um, well, it's like MSD were a bigger company. They're double the size of, of uh, Pfizer at the time and uh, from an animal health perspective. And there was definitely more opportunities for me to grow. Uh, so it was a bit of a selfish decision. Um, like they also had a fantastic range of products. Every which way you turned, they seemed to have the, the product, you know, the bolus vaccine range, but also had, you know, uh, a wide pharmaceutical um uh, portfolio so it was a no-brainer well loyalty is really important to me I think that's an important point I want to make here that you know I didn't leave Zouette uh, easily at the time um, it wasn't an easy decision but it was the right decision for me uh, and my career and MSC are an incredible company to work for they really care about their employees and uh, they have a great presence here in Ireland on the human health side so they've got uh, six manufacturing sites you know Carlo, Brini, Ballydine so quite a quite a high profile company within Ireland and obviously at a global level as well 
And then from an animal health perspective, they had a huge focus on ruminants and a fantastic portfolio, both uh, present, but also coming in the future. Uh, and this was obviously my area of interest, ruminants. So that was an important um, point for the change. And then, as you know, uh, and I've mentioned, we've recently acquired Allflex uh, technology business. And this has given me and my colleagues in Ireland a fantastic opportunity to grow the business and offer new and innovative solutions. So your, your progression through MSD then, so your current role then, like, obviously, did you come in at your current role or did you grow into the role that you are now, like your position now? No, I came in as marketing manager uh, and stayed in that until from 2014 to 2017. Then uh, uh, Seamus Wire actually retired and Fergal Morris became the general manager. And I applied for the business unit director, ruminant business unit director, and I was successful in my application. So I've been there since 2017, late 2017. And uh, yeah, it's, it's uh, it, I suppose it proved the switch over was worth it. Um, it has given me the opportunity to grow uh, and, and progress in my career. Um, and, you know, we've done quite a very good job in terms of growing the biopharma business, you know, the traditional vaccine and uh, pharmaceutical business. But the acquisition of Allflex now has brought a totally new uh, wing uh, and, and stream. And is that a project you're leading? Yeah. So uh, I've, I've led that uh, within Ireland. We, Ireland was, MSA Ireland was one of four countries selected to integrate the business. So essentially it's, it's about if we ran Allflex on its own, if we ran MSD on its own, what would you achieve? If you integrate the two together, what's the hybrid figure? What's the benefit of integrating veterinary medicine with technology? And, uh, you know, finding those, uh, I suppose, uh, integration opportunities has been my, my career for the last two years. And, you know, it's, it's a fantastic opportunity where veterinary medicine goes hand in hand with technology. We're ultimately a preventative company and we're known as a preventative company where 70% of our sales are vaccines. And, you know, this integration can be a silver bullet to a number of the industry challenges, such as antimicrobial resistance and reducing the amount of antibiotics we use. Lack of skilled labor, you know, we, we've increased our cow numbers by over half a million dairy cows. And there's an extra 4,000 people needed to manage those half a million cows. And that skill labor is not there. How do you do it? Are you, is there a research arm then in what you're doing as in you're testing some of this? Or are you, are, you, are you working actually with farmers on the ground and you're going out to the farm and saying, well, does this work? And that doesn't work. And you, you tweak it or are you kind of doing a bit of both? Are you actually doing research on how these things come together? Or are you, for want of a better word, almost live testing it? Well, uh, it's fair to say the, the products are standalone and there's R&D budget behind those and they're developed at a global level. So we're, yeah. we're actually, our business is giving those products, be it veterinary medicine or uh, technology. But uh, we are finding our feet a little bit, into, or were finding our feet in terms of finding those opportunities and uh, uh, through that integration. And we've been very successful. Like, so for example, there's two very low hanging fruit in that integration, fertility, and other health. So from a fertility perspective, you're looking to improve the adoption of sex semen, sense of technology, so collars give you that opportunity in terms of making it black and white when to use sex semen. You're improving um, you know, your, your productivity, uh, key performance indicators such, such as six-week pregnancy rate, conception rates, and so on with those collars. So you're improving the uh, productivity at farm level. Um, and then other health is a very obvious one as well, which we're really going at now around milking technology where we need to reduce the amount of antibiotics we're using. And we can do this through proof points from this technology and you know, customize dry cow therapy or lactating uh, therapy, um, cow therapy uh, through this technology and using proof points to reduce the amount of antibiotics we use, but also be more targeted in the antibiotics we do need to use. So as much as necessary and as little as possible. 
So there's great opportunities for our industry around this, both at a farmer level, but also at a veterinary level. Like, is there, like, I mean, it's interesting because we were talking a little bit offline, like, and I, I, I'm definitely seeing more farmers talking more about collars and that sort of stuff. Like, I mean, like technology, like everything. Like I, 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 when I went to college, there wasn't mobile phones, but there came a tipping point. Do you think we are at the tipping point in some of this sort of stuff? Like, whereas stuff that would have been considered almost niche, it will now become very much mainstream? Absolutely. So if you look at back things, for example, if you go back 15 years, the penetration rate was quite low. And we're at 40 and 50% uh, vaccine penetration rate for the likes of Lepto, uh, Salmonella, BVD, and so on. And, and we're at 20% penetration rate for BRD and, and diarrhea. And that's going to grow. So we're at tipping point for those. We're not at tipping point yet for technology. So we're at penetration rate of somewhere, you know, 7 to 8%. But to give you an idea of the growth over the last two years, we used to sell, or Allflex used to sell 3,000 collars per year. So 3,000 cows per year got a collar. We're now at 30,000 uh, collars last year, 50,000 this year, and this is growing exponentially. So this is going to become mainstream. And if you look at some of the, the companies out there that are doing the research, so there's an interesting article by the IDC Futurescape, and they state that 75% of livestock farms or farmers will use wear, wearable, so you know, Fitbits for cows, if you like, by 2026 to provide real-time information about animal health and you know, cows in heat and activity levels. And this is very exciting for our company and indeed for the wider ag agricultural industry. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see, like, if we, if we were chatting, sure, we will be chatting over the years, but where it'll go, like, but, um, yeah, I do agree to that one. I do think we are, I, I, I talk to farmers and I, I do think it's a case of when this technology is going to be on their farm rather than if. Where does your career come in, like, if you know what I mean, with the family thing, like, I mean, like, I mean, there's obviously, you're, you're in the middle of your career, you, I, I'll be shocked if you don't go on further, like, I mean, how far would you would you move to Dublin, Joey? Would you sacrifice the family? How do you work that, that balance if you were being like, I mean, you're not going to stay in the same job you have now. Like there's there's a lot more to the Willie Minchin story. Like, so how do you, if an opportunity came up and it, it, it involves, how would you how would you work that with home or how would you, I know it's probably an unfair question maybe to ask. Oh, well, you're all right. Like, I suppose, first of all, I'm very happy with what I'm doing. Um, I, in some ways, I think it's a good, it's a good litmus paper. I couldn't imagine anybody else doing my role. I'd be, I'd be, I'd be very jealous of somebody else doing my role. Uh, I love the team and the people I work with. Uh, I'm very lucky to have a very supportive manager, but most importantly, I'm very lucky to have a very supportive family as well. And uh, there is times, you know, I say family first, work second, but at times that has to switch. Being honest, I don't. I think we'd all be lying if if uh, weren't if we didn't admit that. Um, and I'm very lucky that you know my wife and kids understand that there's certain times of the year that I just need to need to double down and, and focus on, on work. And, you know, whether that's giving up uh, a weekend or whether it's working late at night, you know, uh, I am very lucky, as I say, with the support of my manager that, you know, he understands, you know, that's Fergal Morris, he, he understands that family is very important to me and I get the time elsewhere. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a trade-off, but I think um, there's certain times in your career you're going to have to focus that bit more uh, and uh, make sacrifices. And same with family and work. Uh, it goes, it's quid pro quo. So senior football will go first, will it? <laughs> Definitely. At this stage, it has to. Um, it's amazing if you go back 10 years ago, maybe even 12, 15 years ago, football was the number one priority and it's all you wanted to do. And, you know, uh, in some ways, family and, and work was just facilitating that. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's uh, certainly priorities have changed.
Yeah, they, 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 I know we were talking last week there, we were chatting about it. Like, you, you, you did score a goal in Crow Park, didn't you? I scored a goal in Crow Park. Uh, I think it was one of the first men to score a, score a goal. And, like, it was actually... Um, it was actually in 2000, May 2003, and it coincided actually with an unfortunate, uh, uh, very sad occurrence in, in my um, lifetime where I scored the goal in Croke Park against Westmead uh, in the championship. Unfortunately, we lost the game. Uh, we played very well. Uh, we hit the crossbar, I think, two or three times. Um, probably should have won the game in truth, but didn't. But uh, then, unfortunately, I remember my friend saying my father was on cloud nine. He... Like he'd gone to every match during my career, never missed a match without fail. Um, was always on the line. Um, trained teams, coach teams, was a selector, was involved where he could be. Uh, but he actually four days later fell down the stairs and uh, actually uh, you know suffered permanent brain damage. Um, and you know that was very difficult for us at the time as a family. It was a huge loss to me through my sporting career. Um, yeah, and uh, I suppose that a that changed that changed things. It definitely did. Yeah, I was in UCD. I was in second year at the time. I was nineteen years of age, I think. Um, and you know, it had a massive impact on my family and 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 myself at a personal level. From second year in college onwards, I transitioned from being you know a teenager focused on sport to becoming a man and essentially starting thinking about my career for the future. And would you have to get involved at home then as well? Like, was there a lot more? Because you, yeah. the farm, the farm was still at home, I presume, that stage. Yeah, my mother is still farming as well. You know, she's, I won't say what age she is. She'd be very disappointed if she, if she was listening on this. But uh, she's still, you know, the main decision maker there. Uh, but I, I'm heavily involved, obviously. Um, we're farming it together. But uh, from that stage onwards, you know, myself and my sisters definitely had to take on much more. Um, and it's a small, let's be honest, it's a small farm at home. You know, you've got 20 suckler cows um but certainly a transition from you know being a teenager to man I, I had to in terms of putting myself through college financially uh but also there was no parachute at home anymore um i couldn't rely on you know the support uh financial support of my dad so i had to do that and i had to succeed and to, to this day i think uh this event in my career and in my life uh, has given me the hunger and determination uh, that's still with me today being honest i miss my dad's advice and support greatly um, but in saying that, my mother was a huge driving force behind me and my, my uh, brothers and sisters. Um, unfortunately, my dad passed away in April 2020. He succumbed to uh, COVID, like many others, uh, in, a, in a nursing home local in, in Lachlan Bridge, which was obviously a sad and in some ways an unfair way uh, for things to end for him. I think if he was around, things would have been much different. Um, but that's life and everybody has their cross to bear. Um, look, well, look, that, 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 look, that was a, a very personal insight. And look, we're, we're kind of getting a little bit towards now the end of the interview. And I suppose I, w- I wanted to kind of branch away a little bit now from from your, your direct working environment, just to suppose a little about where we are in farming, if you know what I mean. Like, even in the ASA and what we're doing, like, we're, my own personal thought, we're a very interesting place in farming. People might disagree, good place or bad place, but no one can disagree that it's not interesting. And I suppose just your general thoughts and, where we are, like we're so much going on, like we had, we have environmental issues, we have cap issues, we have the war in Ukraine, we have food security, and just where do you, where do you see we are in farming and the future and your thoughts general on it? Yeah, just I might take the opportunity to say the ASA does fantastic work, and in terms of a social network, you know, I've utilised it over the years. I think uh, it's it's a great community, 
Um, I have been a, a council member. Um, unfortunately, I did uh, leave it early after after a two year stint um, to to work commitments. But uh, DSA does great work and compliments to the, the full council on that. Just in terms of Irish agriculture, I think you know the industry has great resolve, uh, and this industry has survived. You know, foot and mouth, BSC, world wars, change in hands of power, uh, COVID, uh, and much much more. And I think we will find solutions to our many challenges uh, that we have now, but we do need to be given the time and space to find these solutions. Um, and from uh, as with the, the partners in the industry, the likes of Tagus need need the time and space to find those uh, answers. From a company perspective, we're working hard in this area, and I believe um, my company has armed the MSD Irish team with the necessary ingredients to develop some of the many solutions needed to overcome challenges. Um, and our biggest challenges are AMR, changing legislation, sustainability, economic environment and societal. Lack of skilled labour is a huge issue, both at vet practice level and, and farmer level. Traceability of our products to differentiate us at a global level. Uh, I believe our products, our solutions, um, all can uh, be part of overcoming um, these challenges, such as vaccines and technology. Are you, are you optimistic then? Oh, incredibly optimistic. Um you know, agriculture has got us out of, uh, as a country, out of many holes over the years. Uh, it's it's incredibly exciting to be in this industry, always has. And, you know, if you think about it, um, just from our own perspective, you know, and technology and vaccines, go back to that, insider intelligence predicts that there'll be nearly 12 million agricultural sensors installed globally by 2023. Also, the tech giant of IBM estimates that the average farm can generate over half a million data points per year, per day. And this is going to per help. Day. Half a million per day? Per day, if you think about individual cows and what they do and the different sensors that are uh, out there. And this will help farmers to improve yields and profitability, but most importantly, to overcome uh, our sustainability challenges. And if you look at then our own customers as a company, veterinary practitioners have a really important role to play in supporting their farming clients to meet and overcome these challenges too. And I think, you know, uh, this is the time of this group of graduates, I suppose, you know, myself and yourself and our cohorts, you know, to meet these challenges. Uh, and similar to those who have gone before us and who have met the, the challenges of their era. Um, I'll quote Isaac Newton, Sir Isaac Newton. He says, we are merely standing on the shoulders of giants. Uh, so we're starting from a great foundation and we need to utilize this foundation. And uh, oh, I'm incredibly confident we'll overcome these challenges. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I, speaking as your, yourself, then as a, as a beef farmer, then how where do you you do you see your own little, your own farming business evolving? If you know what I mean, like I mean, like you talk about MSD, they're a gigantic company. Even Tagus is a big business. Like when you take it right down into the farmer level, what you're doing at home, do you do you see you the changes you're making on your farm happening at the moment? Like, well, uh, I'm incredibly proud to say I'm part. I am a farmer. It's given me a great understanding of the challenges of our, our customers. Um, being honest, I think at the wider industry level, we're probably going to see a decline in beef cow numbers. If you go back, you know, uh, pre-quota era in the dairy uh, in the dairy industry, beef cow numbers were you know half of what they are today. Um, now I'm not saying we're going to go back that far. Um, and you know, from my own personal perspective, I'm not giving up my cows anytime soon. Um, I love what I do. It's uh, deeply ingrained in my DNA. Um, I would feel a bit of a disappointment if I let them go. But I think there is uh, possibly surplus cows in the system that, um, you know, be it through retirement or whatever, we can reduce those numbers 
to allow the most profitable production system to to uh, to be sustainable and, and to flourish and that's ultimately the dairy industry um i think we need to maintain our dairy cow numbers if we can uh, i think we can produce more from the same number of animals or from less uh, through technology and through uh, various solutions uh, that the industry has last question willie before we leave you um if one of your own kids decided to go down the exit route would you would you be cheering or would you do you think there's, there's a, a long-term future it, your, your, your own father promoted you into ag science from the thing like is that something that you, you'd love to see your own kids do absolutely um, if you think about the the course in UCD it's so broad uh, you know we can give examples of the various different career paths that uh, uh, people with agricultural science degrees have they've gone all over the place and I think the podcast has shown that you know the various different examples um, it gives you such a broad uh, science um, education uh I would 100% recommend it to those outside the family. But if one, one of the girls want to go that route, absolutely, I'd support them. Willie, look, thanks very much for your time. It's a, um, yeah, very insightful, like I say, for, for a person in the middle of the career, like some very personal stuff there that you, you told us as well. And look, Willie, really, really appreciate you, you giving the time there to talk about yourself, your career, where you are and the future of agriculture. And as I say, from everyone in the ASA Council, thanks very much. Thanks very much, Philip. It was a pleasure.